It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Or if you're listening in the Metro Boston area, 100.3 FM, you can listen to us there. Or listen to us online on the WROL app or just about anywhere online. Tune in, Stitcher, all kinds of places. I have an interesting program for today. We're gonna. I had a chance to spend a few minutes with a guy by the name of Dr. David Strayer. And he is, uh, among other things, a professor at the University of Utah, but he also did a big study on distracted driving, so I get to spend a few minutes with him. And we're also going to be talking to Stuart Hamill of Skyrunner, and Skyrunner is right now about the closest thing you can get to a flying car. And uh, we'll be talking to him in just a couple of minutes, and also a little update on uh, the vehicle that I'm driving today, which could problem. <laughs> Just a busy signal. Oh, we'll give it a minute. Oh, all right. <laughs> For those that don't know, I'm trying to call a guest. Yeah. And yeah. Make, you know, make yeah. good radio here. Yeah. <laughs> Who has busy signals? <laughs> I don't know. Does everybody have a call waiting? I don't know. <laughs> Beyond uh, my control. <laughs> I know. And, the num- and it wasn't like I transposed the number. The number, uh, you know. The number, the number came from them. So, because you know, I have been guilty of wrong numbers before. So, uh, but it, but anyway, we're also going to be reviewing the um, Jeep Compass, uh, which was a car I drove a little bit, and which was a car I drove a little bit in the last uh, week or so. Talk about that. Uh, next week we'll be doing a review of something really a little bit different, and that's going to be the Dodge Durango SRT. So. If the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk was the real hot rod, this is sort of the next one down, and sort of an interesting, sort of an interesting vehicle. And um, you know, we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see and see how it all works. But I guess we're having a little problem with our guest, with a with a problem with um, busy signals and so forth. So, hmm. And he was just uh, the uh, I know we just confirmed with him the other day. So it's probably a good time to talk about our Jeep Compass that got me around, which is uh, which is the uh, Jeep Compass. It happened to be the Latitude Edition. It comes in both front and all-wheel drive. Our test model was in the all-wheel drive version. The Compass is powered by a 2.4-liter four-cylinder engine connected to a six-speed automatic transmission. Um, it makes pretty decent horsepower, but it could use a little bit more. It seems a little wheezy at times. The ride and handling are dramatically improved over previous versions. Bumps in the road are taken with ease. Overall handling around town and out on the highway is, again, much improved, but still not as good as some of the better small SUVs. Um, uh, the all-wheel drive version is, um, I think, I think can handle pretty much anything New England weather can throw at it. Um, we've had some interesting weather. The interior compass is pretty comfortable with supportive seats, although I'd like to see, like in a lot of cars, a little bit more thigh support and, you know, just uh, 
There's a little bit more support overall with the seats. The controls are very good with large, easy-to-use buttons and knobs. Visibility is good with no blind spots. The rear seat can get a bit cramped if the front seats are pushed all the way to their most rearward position. But at six feet tall, I had the front seat pushed as far back as it would go, and I could get in the back of the in the back of the car and it seemed okay. Um, the controls are very, like I said, the controls are easy. Um, Jeep used a few not necessarily new ideas to maximize storage. There's about 27 cubic feet of storage space behind the back seat, which isn't quite as much as some other compact SUVs. However, the rear seat folds almost completely flat, as does the front passenger seat, so you can carry long items. Again, nothing new but handy for carrying something that you want to keep out of the weather. There's plenty of uh, bins and cubbies throughout the cabin to keep keys, phones, and other stuff we always seem to bring with us. There's also several... 12-volt power points and USB slots to keep connected. The bottom line, the Jeep is uh, now a competitive vehicle in that SUV segment. Uh, base price, well, it ranges anywhere from about $25,000 up to about $34,000. So, um, so uh, you know, it's a, it's a vehicle that is, at a bare minimum, pretty interesting. So something that if you're looking for a compact SUV, something that actually looks and acts like a Jeep now, uh, it should do everything you want it to do. I posted this on my Facebook page uh, yesterday, and this was reported in um, in uh, it's uh, Inside GM News is where it came from. In what could be the very first infraction committed by an autonomous car, a San Francisco police officer pulled over and ticketed a General Motors-operated self-driving Chevrolet Bolt EV. The incident occurred on March 20th. And uh, the CBS News affiliate uh, KPIX5 reported last week that self-driving car was operated autonomously with a human backup driver behind the wheel. The officer initiated a traffic stop after he noticed the self-driving Bolt EV failed to yield to a pedestrian in the crosswalk. Uh, Cruise Automation, a GM-owned subsidiary that works on self-driving vehicle technology, pointed to the car's data, which showed it did yield to the pedestrian and kept a distance of 10.8 feet. Cruise added that the self-driving vehicle never put the pedestrian in danger. However, the officer's ticket still stands. Somewhat humorously, uh, the human driver uh, present at the time is now responsible for the citation. It's unclear if the driver will fight the infraction in court, and San Francisco police didn't comment on the matter. So I thought that was kind of weirdly interesting that um, the self-driving car actually... um, Got a ticket. Hmm. And from uh, consumers.org, EPA takes the first step to roll back car and truck standards and raise costs for consumers. Uh, Again, you know, listen to where it comes from, I guess, and see if, you know, the predictions are true. The Environmental Protection Agency today issued a new final determination reversing its previous conclusion that greenhouse gas standards for light-duty vehicles set for 2022 to 2025 are appropriate and do not need to be reevaluated. Unfortunately, to consumers, this signals a step back towards lowering emissions and efficiency goals for new cars. Such a rollback will ultimately cost consumers $100 billion or more to keep their gas tanks full. I don't know how they come up with these kind of numbers. EPA's decision defies a robust record um, in years of review and shows these targets are responsible and appropriate. Uh, According to the Director of Cars and Product Policy and Analysis for the Consumers Union, since uh, the standards 
were initially set. The automaker has invested in fuel-saving technology for cars and trucks, also delivering more comfort, safety, and horsepower. All of these efficiency technologies um, pay for themselves. So they want, want to see more of what's going on. Um, surveys from consumers unions show that car and truck buyers care about fuel economies and want to spend less on gas. Consumer unions latest survey found that over 70% of Americans want the government to continue to set higher fuel standards. Uh, nearly 80% of Americans, many of whom have gravitated towards crossovers, trucks, and SUV in recent years, want to see continued efficiency improvements in larger vehicles. The fuel economy program is working to save consumers a lot of money and accelerate innovation within the industry. I think there's certainly part of that is certainly the case. I think they're working towards um, getting more miles per gallon, and I think the the law is sort of promoting that. Um, did I ever think they'd make it by, you know, the, the 54 miles per gallon that they said? No, that would never happen. Well, I had the opportunity to spend a couple minutes with Dr. David Strayer of the University of Utah. He's a researcher, and he does work for AAA, actually. And my question to him was, what is a technology hangover? Well, when you uh, start talking on the phone or you start interacting with text uh, on the tech, texting or Facebook, uh, when you hang up, you still are impaired from that activity. It takes time to kind of reacquire where you were, reacquire that situation awareness. You kind of get that, we call it a technology hangover, and it takes up to 27 seconds for that distraction to fade. Um, and so we, we just know that uh, a lot of times people think, if I hang up the phone, I'm fine. It's like, well, if you hang up the phone, you're still suffering from that distraction. Um, and that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of times people will say, I'll wait till I text to a stoplight or a stop sign. That's not safe because when you start to go, you're still in that cloud. Yep. Does it make any difference if the technology is built into the car or you hold it in your hand? So in other words, uh, uh, you're using a navigation system in a car versus a uh, one that's built into a phone or one that's uh, suction cupped to the windshield? Not really. Basically, uh, uh, in many cases, it's, it's the cognitive mental distraction plus the eyes looking at the display that, that are kind of causing these problems. And there are, of course, some vehicles and some, uh, uh, you know, phones that actually do that better than others. Uh, one of the things I'll show later on today is that um, you know, Apple and CarPlay tend to be uh, than uh, a lot of the systems that you get if you purchase a car. So yeah. in many cases, you buy a car and much of the technology is nearly impossible to use and at least CarPlay and Android are making it so that it's a little easier and probably safer. Does it make, is there a learning curve? Do people get better at it the longer they do it? Uh, a little bit, but if you buy a car that's really uh, cumbersome to use, you're stuck with that car and you can't practice it away. Yeah. And uh, you, you showed a little diagram of a chicken crossing the road, and you talked about somebody on the phone and how it slows traffic down. What was that percentage that people lose every day in their commute? So if you look at the aggregate, uh, other distracted drivers are basically slowing everybody's commute by up to 10%. So if, you, if your commute is uh, an hour each way, well, six minutes are lost because of other drivers who are responding slowly and in a distracted state somewhere up ahead of you. You may not see them because they may be a mile ahead of you, but they're just gumming up traffic. And it's not just the person that spins out of control. It's the person that just all of a sudden they're not going the speed limit or they're they're kind of wavering in the roadway. That's, that's part of it, right? 
Yeah, these are these unintended kind of hidden costs. We can tell if someone crashes, and that's an obvious cause of problems, and you can see the rubbernecking and slow traffic there. But what, what's really uh, striking is the fact that you just know you're kind of on a freeway, and if it gets to be dense traffic, all of a sudden it'll kind of stop, and you'll have you go, why did I stop and all this? And, and part of it is because someone up ahead of you, you know, wasn't paying attention because they're distracted or something else. And, and at some point, I mean, you must have had this happen as well. All of a sudden, you're driving along, stop and go, and all of a sudden, traffic just clears. And you're going, what happened? Yep. Well, it's it's basically that there's these dynamic patterns in roadway in, 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 in the traffic congestion that once you get some problem like that, it's difficult for it to dissipate. And I heard a number the other day, and I'm kind of making it up, but I heard something like, $100 million of loss because of March Madness, Monday morning when everybody comes to work and starts to talk about it. Is there a number about this? Is there a financial uh, number that ties into this 10% of loss of you know commute time or adds to your commute time? Have anybody stopped to figure that out yet? Yeah, they've started to look at that. We're talking about hundreds of, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, overall that are lost because of people just stuck in traffic, just just kind of uh, not getting to ta- not getting to work on time, uh, or just basically just being uh, well, just if nothing else, just a frustration of trying to get home. So if we can figure out, we can get a couple million each. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your time. And that ended a little abruptly, but you know, I should have warned Dennis about that. Uh, but I thought one of the two interesting things about that interview that was mentioned by Dr. Strayer. First off was that um, when you do something electronic in your car, whether it's uh, uh, use your navigation system, look at your phone, whatever the case is, and you're waiting for a reaction to happen, your mind goes on hold for up to 27 seconds. So even if you have a voice command system and you say to the system, you know, tune AM radio 950 WROL, you wait up to 27 seconds for that to happen. And even after it happens, you wonder whether it still happened. So you kind of go into this fog for a little bit of time. The other thing was, and maybe this explains an age-old mystery. You have it driving down the highway, traffic comes to a stop, and all of a sudden it starts going again, and you're like, why'd that happen? Well, it could be the person 100 cars up looking at their phone, that all of a sudden started going 50 miles an hour. person behind them started going 45 miles an hour. The person behind them started going 40 miles an hour. The person behind them slowed down to 30. And then somebody just about came to a stop. And it's all because one person picked up their phone and looked at it and, and screwed up the traffic flow. I'll buy that except for on Route 24. Well, Route 24 <laughs> is just a disaster all the time. <laughs> Route 24... It's- is the only road that I have ever been on where you can be doing, we'll say, 80 miles an hour yep. just to be on the conservative side because some people do more than that. Mm-hmm. And then in one second, you have to stop dead in your tracks. Yep. And then you sit there for about a minute, and then you're doing 80 miles an hour again. Yep. I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that – I don't know what causes that. But it's 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 still – I mean, how many times have you really – you've been in traffic, and all of a sudden it's like mm. – Almost slow down to a stop and then speed back up again. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, something's wrong. Something's weird going up. But it could be just because someone looked at their phone, and that's all there was. So just one of those one of those odd things 
that's hard to explain. Well, why don't we do trivia? I know it's early, but you know our guest seems to have uh, seems to. I don't know what happened to our guest. I don't know where they went. We have phone numbers, PR numbers, whatever the case is. But you know we did talk about a Jeep today, so. Jeep has a lot of good products. And one thing that's missing in the product lineup currently is a three-row SUV. If you want a three-row Jeep, you go out and buy a Dodge Durango, which isn't a Jeep, it's a Dodge. But that's what you bought. But there was a time, not that many years ago, the Jeep had a three-row SUV. What was the name of it? If you know the answer, give us a call at 617 770 30 30 617 and we will uh, give you some sort of a prize. Don't know what it will be exactly, but it'll be some sort of a prize, and we'll give it to you. Um, okay, here here's as political as I ever get. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, this was posted by a guy named Tom Nicholson. He posted it on a Facebook account um, about the sports car. I'll just read it and see what it says. So, uh, a man named Tom Nicholson posted on his Facebook account the sports car that he had just bought and how a man approached him and told him that the money used to buy this car could have fed thousands of less fortunate people. His response to the man that made him famous on the internet, and this comes from uh, uh, Steve Fitzgerald, actually, who forwarded me this. Steve Fitzgerald, uh, car guy, been around for a long time. But this is the story that he posted on Facebook. Guy looked at my Corvette the other day and said, I wonder how many people could have been fed for the money that sports car cost. And the guy replied, I'm not sure. It fed a lot of families in Bowling Green, Kentucky who built it. It fed the people who make the tires. It fed the people that made the components that went into it. It fed the people in the copper mine who mined the copper for the wires. It fed the people in Decatur, Illinois, at the Caterpillar Caterpillar. Caterpillar plant who make the trucks that haul the copper ore. It fed the trucking people who hauled it from the plant to the dealer. It fed the people working at the dealership and the families. But I have to admit, I guess I really don't know how many people it did feed. That's the difference between, according to this posting, the difference between capitalism and welfare mentality. When you buy something, you put money in people's pockets and give them dignity for their skills. When you give them something, someone something for nothing, you rob them of a dignity and their self-worth. Again, I'm not political. This is just something. But it's just an answer because I have seen, I saw this was a, this was a confrontation a couple of years ago. Somebody said, somebody had a boat on the back of a trailer and said the same thing to somebody. Do you know how much... You know, you know. Look at look at the money you spent. And you could have fed, you know, a soup kitchen for for a while. Um, anyway, the answer made this guy uh, famous on the internet, and he received about a half a million shares if you follow that kind of stuff. And then I got an email, which is a little hard to read because it printed out sort of funny, and it said. Uh, well, on a road trip, an elderly couple stopped at a roadside restaurant for lunch. After finishing their meal, they left the restaurant and resumed their trip. Um, When leaving, the elderly woman unknowingly left her glasses on the table, and she didn't miss them until they had been driving for about 40 minutes. Uh, By then, um, 
The husband was quite aggravated. They traveled quite a distance, uh, find a place to turn around in order to return to the restaurant and retrieve his glasses. All the way back, the elderly husband became the classic grumpy old man. He fussed and complained and scolded his wife relentlessly during the entire return drive home. The more he chided her, the more agitated he became. Um, he just wouldn't let up for a single minute. To her relief, when they finally arrived at the restaurant, as a woman got out of her car um, and hurried inside to retrieve her glasses, the old geezer yelled at her, while you're in there, you might as well get my hat and, and the credit card we used. Um, Don't. Um, this week is National Senior Health Week. You can do your part by remembering to contact at least at least one unstable senior senior to show you care. I just did my part. Is what is what Joanne wrote to me. So apparently, I'm an unstable senior. Just to let you know, it wasn't my wife Joanne. It was Joanne, somebody else. But let's see. Uh, let's do. Let's let's do them backwards. <laughs> I don't know. We'll do them in some order here. We'll do. We'll want to use. Want to use our random number generator? Just pick a name, please. <laughs> <laughs> Come on! I have a random number Any generator. Name. Here. Maybe I have. A, all right, here we go. We'll go with number three on the random number generator. Jake, is that you? That's me. So what do you think? Well, I think it might be the uh, Jeep Wagoneer. I think you'd be wrong. Well, well, thank you for letting me try. All right, good try. Thanks. All right, let's go over to line one to Joe. Joe. Uh, Commander. Commander. You are exactly right. It is the Commander. Whatever happened to that? Uh, boxy, ugly. People don't like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was, yeah, there was that. Yeah, it 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 didn't ride well. It got terrible gas mileage, and it uh, was not a it was not a good looking vehicle to look at. But you are but you are correct. You uh, you pulled that one out. So we will get your name and address down, and we'll send you out some fabulous prize. It might be a bunch Thank of triple, you. might be a bunch of AAA stuff, but it'll, whatever it is, it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a prize. Thank you, sir. All right, thank you. Stay right there, Dennis. We'll get right with you. 617-770-3030-617-770-3030 is how you get through. Talk to us about your car, your car problems, whatever's on your mind. You can give us a call. Uh, some of the updates from the uh, New York Auto Show that made it to the newspaper this week. Um, and I think this is one that I saw, and this was on the front page of Automotive News it says a pickup Volkswagen needs and how it can be a winner. Uh, Volkswagen's um, North American executive team swears the Atlas unibody pickup that captivated the auto show here last week is just a concept built to gauge market reaction and show what the automated flexible platform can do. There are no plans right now for production, according to the uh, Volkswagen of America CEO. But between the sound bites, the official statements tamping down expectations, some things were clear. And uh, his team want to build a pickup, and they need to build a pickup. And they're acting, uh, gaming out scenarios that would justify doing that. And um, they also want to, it wants to be a small enough pickup truck that fits in a reasonable size, like urban garage. So I don't know. When I saw it, 
and they had it sort of tucked in a corner. They were showing off their their five seat um, uh, Atlas, and not that. But uh, I think that was I think that was the the winner there. I think that was pretty good. There is a new uh, electric SUV. Well, sort of an SUV. It's called it's a it's a, a Hyundai. It's called the Kona. It's the Kona Electric. It adds another layer of diversity to the brand's. Um, U.S. utility lineup, the Kona Electric, introduced uh, last week at the New York Auto Show. And something I'm going to, I think I'm going to get a chance to spend a little bit of time in. Announced in February, they, they, um, they're going to have a redesigned Santa Fe. It'll get a diesel option in 2019. Hyundai's first diesel in the U.S. market. Uh, the Kona Electric will uh, get a targeted rollout. Hyundai says it will be produced in Korea with the initial availability in California and later in states that follow California zero emissions. So we'll see it here. Hyundai Motor uh, COO said the Kona Electric 250-mile range will give drivers more flexibility and peace of mind than some early EVs that had ranges around 100 or 150 miles. Its closest competitor is the Chevy Bolt. A high-riding hatchback with a 238-mile range. Tesla's Model 3 with a base range of 220 miles on a charge is a sedan. We think we're going to get a lot of people who know that they want an EV, but they're cross-shopping and looking for an EV that's also a compact utility vehicle. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like the idea. And it's actually unlike the Tesla Model X, which is ugly and kind of an SUV. Um, I think it's. I think this looks pretty nice. And a 250-mile range. They're about there. Um, Hyundai also unveiled a redesigned 2019 uh, Tucson crossover in New York. It's not electrified, but um, certainly I bet it could be. Let's talk to uh, Ken in Topsfield. Ken? Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. I have, I'm going, I have a car that needs, I'm replacing the, I'll call it the pistons that hold up the hood. Okay. And I bought the pistons, yep. and the man told me, gave me a hint, he says, when you go to put them on, don't take the clip off that holds it, keep the clip on, and I guess, I don't know if you bang it on. I've never done this. I think you take the old ones off with maybe a screwdriver, you pick, you push the clip off. I, I don't know if you've ever done yeah, this. Yeah, usually, usually all you have to do is kind of push the clip kind of out of the way so it'll snap off. Um, you know, make sure you support the hood because you know it's right. gonna, yeah, it's going to come down. It's going to come down and hit you in the head. Um, right, it's a two-man job yeah, almost. Yeah, and then the new ones just sort of uh, put a little bit of lube on, like a little bit of white grease or something on the stud yeah. that it sits on, and it should just snap right on. And you just tap it on with a hammer or yeah, something I, like I, that. The last one I did, I just banged it on with my hand. Cool. Yeah. And so the really it's, a, it's not a complicated oh, no, thing. I just no. didn't want to do it wrong. You leave the clip on when you when you put the new one on. The, the one the one the last one I did, I yeah, yeah, it just it made it easy to go on, hard to go off. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so All right. it should be pretty straightforward. And did you buy well, did you buy both of them? I did. Yeah, good good idea. It's good to replace them in pairs. It's almost like if you just do one um you end up with you end up with uh, one that's working hard and one that isn't, and then you end up just wearing out the other one too fast. So it's right. it's almost like taking a flashlight and just replacing one battery in it, and then that battery doesn't last very long. So yeah, it's good to do them in pairs. Even way back, I remember um, uh, 
Ford had a whole issue with with those going bad, and I don't remember what the you know years ago Ford Escorts or something. And even under warranty, which was unusual, they would replace both of them uh, in pairs. So um, there was uh, there was always. Uh, it always seemed like there was a good one and a bad one, but even under warranty, they said, no, do both of them because we want them both to last a long time. So, yeah, doing them together makes a whole lot of sense. One thing with this, just I have a car, an old car, and I keep a, a battery charger on it, a tender, and I keep the hood up. Mm-hmm. And I often wonder, is keeping the hood up, like, is there less pressure on the piston as opposed to closing it and compressing it? In other words, long-term storage, or should I support it? Do you know what I'm saying? On yeah, pistons? I'm... Most people that leave a hood up like that will actually support it. They'll take a, you know, broomstick yep. handle or something, cut it to fit just so it's not, you know, there's just not that extra weight on it. Because when it's closed, they're not working very hard. So when it's open, right. it's holding up the weight of the hood. So a lot of people will just take a, uh, you know, take something um, just to hold hold it hold it open, you know. And, and you, can get, you can get a little bit fancy. You can go, uh, you, you right. know, go put a couple of... Uh, um, Little, those rubber uh, little rubber bumpers and you know put one on each end of it so it doesn't slide around and you know we'll right. hold it in place and work good but you could close the hood too oh, yeah. would that take yeah. less pressure oh, off oh, yeah. I just if, thought it might yeah i mean when i when i had a car with a battery tender what i would do is i would run the wire sort of through the grill and then just close the hood and not worry about it cool well, okay listen, thanks a lot all right take care, have a great day you as well bye take care bye bye 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Before we take a break, I just wanted to one thing. Mercedes AMG will stop selling V12 engines. It was always like their, their, their sort of uh, signature was a big V12 engine under the, under the hood. But Mercedes AMG brand will stop selling the V12 engine after it phases out the top of the line 65 that uses them. Mercedes-Benz will continue to sell Vehicles with V12 will continue to sell vehicles with V12s, but the use is likely to be limited to the Maybach Ultra Luxury sub-brand. Mercedes AMG CEO told Automotive News last week at the New York Auto Show, Maybach and AMG will use the V12s in the AMG unit. Uh, is responsible for the automaker's 8- and 12-cylinder engine design. There is still demand for V12, but if you want to move forward the V12 in the future, the investment will be high. And in my perspective, you have to increase power. You have to move forward. You have, with technology in the engine, they're looking at electrified V8 vehicles. The company's 6-liter V12 is still capable enough for future vehicles, but not the high-performance power output level necessary to go forward. The phase-out of the 65 model already has begun. The Mercedes-AMG 65 final edition of variant of the Boxy G-Class uh, was announced in October after the unveiling of the redesigned G-Class. The move away from the V12 will also um, hold true the next-generation AMG variants of the five of the S-Class. Um, no more V12s. So unless you buy a Maybach, which I've only been in one once, and it was pleasant, very luxurious, like a Rolls-Royce. Why don't we take a break? Long, long time ago. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening at AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. We'll be right back. And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while
I was taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, talking on a number and digging on the radio. Just as I cross the Mississippi line. It is California and Massachusetts. And... Well, it's, it's a song about a Chevrolet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, there is a big concern, actually, about uh, legalized marijuana use and uh, impaired driving. It's interesting that um, we we were, of course, against it, except for medical purposes at AAA because of the impairment issues, and it can't be measured. That's one of the problems. And the amount of people that called us up that said, oh, no, I drive better when I'm stoned. Huh? Yeah, I hear that. I have a lot of friends who um, partake in that yeah. herbicide, or not herbicide, that <laughs> herb, that magic herb, and... Um, they all say the same thing. I drive better when I'm stoned. I'd rather drive stoned than drunk because then when I'm stoned, I'm more paranoid, so I'm driving slower. Okay, I'm... you'd rather drive stoned than drunk. <laughs> Neither one of those is uh, a good, good option I understand. for driving. This just want to point that out. when I start saying, well, your argument is invalid at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030, phone lines are open. Let's talk to Roy. Ray. Hi, how you doing, John? Good, how are you, Ray? <laughs> Good, good. I just had a quick question. Sure. Um, I took my wife's car in for an oil change, and they were giving me this uh, spiel about changing the uh, transmission fluid. It's oh, yeah? a 2008 Accord. It's got uh, 80,000 miles on it. Is that a good idea or what? Here's the deal. It's a good idea if it if it needs to be done, I guess, first off. If it's dirty, yeah. if it's dirty, low, you know, it looks like it's, um, it looks like it's, uh, Instead of, yeah, instead of being, you know, nice and kind of reddish color, if it looks right. burnt, it's 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 uh, it's a good idea to do it. The other thing is, it's only a good idea to do it if you use Honda fluid. If you don't use okay, well, it's a Honda place. Oh, it is. So okay. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, the other thing is, Honda has had here and there a bit of trouble with their transmissions. They have not been. They have not been the most perfect transmission in the world, but I don't know that I don't know that Honda actually has any kind of maintenance that says change the transmission fluid. Well, this is the thing. I took it in, and the guy says, "Well, you're scheduled for this here." And I said, "Well, how much is it? like four hundred twenty dollars?" Like, "Oh, jeez." I said, "Well, no, she can figure it out." So they want to change the end cap and air filter. I can do that myself. Yep. And then the uh, uh, the engine uh, air filter. Yep. I said, I can do that myself. So I yep. said, well, how much is it to change the uh, transmission fluid? He said, it was $90. I'm thinking to myself, you think it's like, what, $300 to do these other two little things? It costs like less than $40. Mm. You know, uh, so, I mean, I said, well, no, I don't do anything. But I wanted to find out from you whether or yeah. not the transmission oil yeah. changed. Like, like I said, if it's, if it's um, dirty and burnt, good idea to mm-hmm. do it. Um, Honda, says, Honda says to actually do it at 120,000 miles. Now, okay. Now, your car is, how old again? 2008? 2008, I think it is. Okay. And if you drove if you drove average miles, which would be like 12,000 miles a year, yeah. that would be average, right? That's what most people drive. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Would, have, you would have 120,000 miles on it. So, right. 
at this point, even though the mileage doesn't make it, the amount of time the fluid's been sitting in the transmission right. probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's all I needed to yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. Well, I figured, you know, like, yeah, it's a Honda place there, so like, they would yeah. use all Honda stuff. Yeah, and that's the, important, figured... yeah, that's the important part because Honda fluid's a little different than everybody else's fluid. And okay. even though they say you can use this or equivalent, um, right. yeah, sometimes if you don't use the Honda fluid, it shifts funny afterwards. Right, so, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah so, my, my wife drives it. I mean, she doesn't drive that much yeah, anyways. Right. So but, the, but, but the fluid's been in there for 10 years. So yeah. based on that, it it's not a bad idea to do it. And and uh, and and like I said, if you just went by mileage, it'd be right. one thing. But if you're going you're going by time, and even though Honda yes. doesn't really have a time requirement, it's, right. ten, it's 10 years. And if they, they say 120,000 miles, that's about 10 years worth of driving. So I would, yeah. I would do yeah. it. Okay. Okay. Right, that sounds good. All, All right. right. Thanks a lot. All right. Take Bye-bye. care. See ya. 617 770 3030. 617 770 3030. Let's talk to Rick. Rick, is that you? Yep. That's it. You're doing a quick check. Make sure it's you. Yep. It's me. Yeah, okay. And then actually, I tried to get in last week, but I couldn't for some whatever reason that was this question. And actually, had a nice lead in because. Um, I came across some figures that uh, between, in Colorado, between 2013 and 2016, the marijuana-related traffic deaths doubled in that. And um, over a longer period of time, that they had uh, like a 66% increase. Um, has AAA come across any figures? Yeah, and, I mean, we've seen, we've seen numbers that show that. The problem is, like, all of those numbers... Um, you never quite know what you're getting for. I mean, to say that you know the numbers went up because of specific to marijuana, well, the difference between you know when it was kind of legal and when it wasn't that sort of skews the numbers a little bit. But you know, the bottom line is, if you're impaired, if you're impaired from you know technology because you you're waiting for the your computer in your car to do something, you're impaired because you picked up your phone and started text messaging or you're impaired because you're you're smoking marijuana or or drinking no matter what you're impaired so you shouldn't be driving and the problem is right now you know talking to cops there's no good method to say whether you know it's one thing if a if you're driving down the road and you're swerving a little bit and you get pulled over and they take out a a portable breathalyzer and they have you blow into it and you're like you know 0.04 or 0.05 you're legal you know they may hold you but you're legal um there's no there's no good method to check for for marijuana impairment. So it makes it hard on everybody and you know they can still do these kind of field sobriety tests but there's no numbers that go with them. So it's kind of a it's kind of a hard one to do. So um like I said, you know, here here in Massachusetts there you know, I I read the story in um in Brockton, you know, they they're predicting that it's going to bring millions of dollars worth of revenue to the city of Brockton, which, you know, certainly can use millions of dollars worth of revenue. But um, also you have to, you have to, there has to be some personal responsibility there where, where people have to go, Hey, look, you know, um, I can't be doing this and driving down the road. Oh yeah. Just like the casinos bringing millions of dollars worth of revenue and up goes the uh, gambling related uh, crime and um, social problems. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it's it's all of those things, so. 
So you have to, I mean, you have to look, you have to look at all of it. You have to, you have to see how it works. And again, I'm not political. I just know that, I just know when I see people doing stupid stuff on the road, it bothers me. And, you know, I've been behind cars now where, um, where people are, you know, people are driving down the road and you, you know, you know, there's, you know, the smoke coming out of the car is not from a, uh, from a vapor pen or a cigarette. Yeah. Well, um, yesterday I was pulling out of a, uh, little mall and this woman insisted on, and it, there's a divided lane, you know, physical, they had plants in between mm-hmm. and she insisted on coming in the, um, the exit lane and was mad at me for being in the way. Well, and I wasn't. I don't. I'm not so sure that uh, she wasn't uh, under the influence of something. Well, you know, that's what you get for trying to go. You know, trying to go in the in instead of going in the out, like like they wanted you to. You know. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's one of those. It's just you never know. You never know. So so we want. We just want everybody to be careful and you know whatever the case is. So you know, there's certain places. You know what I think. Uh, you know, Brockton's embracing it. Provincetown's embracing it. I think up in, you know, Worcester area are kind of embracing it. So, um, you know, time time will tell. You know, I was like I said, I was in California a couple months ago, and there was a uh, fair amount of um, open marijuana use. I guess is the only way to say it. Again, this is this borders on almost too political for me. Well, um, it, it may be too uh, on the borderline for you, but. Um I don't see anything good coming from it. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, other, you know, the the medical the medical side of it. I've I have known people who who um, it has it has made them better. It has made them feel better. It has taken away pain. It has taken away pain from, you know, chemotherapy and and glaucoma and all those kind of things. Medical medical thing. I you know, good idea recreationally. I don't know. I'm you know I, uh, you know I like I like to think that less laws and more responsibility is a good thing, but sometimes it doesn't always work. No, I agree with you on that one, on both parts, but um, from what I understand, and maybe I got up some bad information, is that uh, they can um, extract the good stuff from the bad stuff in marijuana and you know give people that way, just like they can turn heroin into morphine. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard that too. But, but again, I, I don't, you know, there's got to be some other reason, and I, I don't, I don't pretend to be a scientist, and not this kind of scientist. I don't even come close to being pretending. So, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let smarter minds than ours try to figure it out. Well, I'm still going to stand on my position. There so you go. You have a good nothing one, nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's political that's, argument. Yeah, that's that's why no arguments. It's just uh, you know that's why everybody has a position. It's all good. Yep. All right, thanks, Rick. Okay, have a good one, John. You too. Bye. Again, I'm, you know, close as I got to being political is about this Corvette story and 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 help a senior week. Although they were just picking on me about my age. But speaking of Corvettes, yes, have you been to the South Shore Plaza at all lately? No. There is a Corvette that's roped off and has all these enter to win, enter to win. It's right by the um, the front entrance where. Um, Cheesecake Factory is and Davio's is now. Okay. Yep. The Corvette is I'm gonna say an eighty six Corvette. Oh, okay. It is I wouldn't want to win it. No? No. It is the the rubber sealants around the windows are all cracked and peeling. The paint is chipped. 
The in- interior is worn. I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? Yes. <laughs> I mean, if it was in good order, I still wouldn't want to win it because I'm not an 80s Corvette fan, but it is no. It's no. <laughs> I wonder I wonder why. I, gonna... I wonder why. I wonder. I was, I was at, um, where was I? Kingston Mall, whatever that thing's called now, the Kingston the Galleria collection. collection, yeah, the collection, yeah. yeah, and which was just about empty of stores, but they had a couple stores that actually had some old cars parked in them, and I'm just assuming it must be like the manager of the mall or somebody who just needed some storage space or something, and uh, yeah, old cars when they sit still sometimes, um, things things don't always go so well. But, you know, hey, I had to have my car fixed this week. And? I didn't do it myself. It almost never happens. You know, usually I do it myself. Not for nothing, but I don't want to state the obvious. What, I'm too old? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't say it. (laughs) Um, No, you know, there's some things, there's something, but I, you know, I have, I have, uh, I have always had access to a garage. When I worked in a garage as a mechanic, obviously I had access to one. When I went to work at AAA, we had a little two-bay garage that was great to work on stuff, but it had no stuff. It had We had some few basic hand tools. We had no supplies. So if you're working on something that dropped a bolt down the drain, you're in trouble because we didn't have any bolts. Um, but then, on the other hand, it was... Quick and easy and clean and bright, and if I needed to do something that wasn't too complicated, it was a good place to do it. Then right near my house, there was a guy who had a little used car dealership, and he would just leave the key under the mat for me, and I could go in his shop and work there, and he retired and sold a business, and I've been without a garage ever since. So I've either had to rely on doing it myself in the driveway on a nice day, which I did a month ago, it was about, it was a, well, not even a month ago, two weeks ago, I guess, it was a nice day. I actually had to replace the uh, evaporator purge valve on my car because it had a, came up with a check engine light code. And I don't know, a couple months before that, I think I did rear brakes one, one day. And it was the same thing. It was kind of this nice 45 degree sunny day and, and did it out in the driveway. And, uh, but this, but my car required, my car has had a problem where the ABS light, the traction control light, and the four-wheel drive light have all been coming on, and they've been coming on because of a bad wheel sensor. And I checked for codes and found it was a wheel sensor and didn't, frankly, didn't even crawl under the car to look at it. I just went, oh, and for all I know, it could have been unplugged and just dangling in the breeze under there. So I brought it to a shop near my house. And again, the only other person that's ever really worked on my car is Junior's Automotive in Hyde Park. But um, it's always kind of a, it's always a little hard for me to get the car there. The couple times it's been there, I, I actually ended up having towed, towed there because whatever went wrong with the car when the steering started to leak, you couldn't really drive it there. So I had it towed there, but I didn't want to have it towed just for replacing an, a problem with the wheel sensor. Well, I brought it to a shop, AAA shop near work, uh, Eastside Service, uh, gas station, convenience store, and pretty big repair shop. There's, I think, five mechanics that work there, five technicians that work there. And I brought it in, and I said, 
I said to him, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm embarrassed to even tell you this. I Here's a code. I cleared it. It came back. I know what it is. It's probably a wheel sensor. But I said, I haven't even looked under the car. I said, for all I know, it's it came unplugged and it's dangling in the breeze. I don't know. And he looks at it and calls me up and says, no, no, it's a... Um, it needs a, it needs a, there's the way ABS brakes work. There's a sensor and a thing that looks like a gear called a tone ring. And every time the ring spins around, the sensor measures, um, kind of a signal. So on, off, on, off. So it knows when the wheels are locking up or not. And he said, no, the ring is cracked. It's got a chunk missing out of it. And they don't sell, Hyundai doesn't sell the ring separately. You have to buy an axle shaft. So I said, okay. And he said, the problem is I can't find one. Well, he said, I can find one. The Hyundai dealer has one. It's $780. He said, he said, aftermarket, it's a lot less than that. So I said, well, go, go order one. I said, unless you want me to order it. He's like, no, no, I'll order it. Well, about a year ago, I had a bad axle boot on the front of the car. And I went online to Rock Auto, ordered a axle shaft because it was cheaper than buying the boot kit. I think the boot kit was thirty-five or forty dollars, and the axle shaft I think was fifty or sixty. Well, they actually sent me the wrong one. They sent me the one for the rear, and I should have held on to it. <laughs> and uh, but no, they said they found they found an aftermarket one for one hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, but if I was doing it myself. I could have got one for $65.99 if I ordered it mail order. So with shipping, probably 90 bucks maybe. Um, and then the labor, I think the labor was like $130, $140. So 300 bucks later, the lights are out, at least on the ride home. So the lights are out. So the car is fixed. But still, I've, I've, I've never, I've never... I've or hardly ever let someone else fix something and then it pains me to pay for it a little bit. Just a little bit. I have a story. I know, I read it. Yeah. But go ahead. So it gets better. You didn't hear the aftermath. Oh, okay. So my wife was on the way home from an errand she was running the other day and she hit a pothole and got a flat tire. Mm-hmm. Um so I went I went to her and I told her well, I was on my way to call AAA because it was too dang cold with that wind for me to be out there. Sorry, just not going to do it myself. And I pay AAA to do this stuff, right? <laughs> so um, they came out. Um, it was a contractor. I think it was South Shore Towing or something like that. Mm, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, Express Towing? It, maybe. Yep. Um, and came out. He By the time what they said 40 minutes, he was there in 15 minutes. In that 15, and then he had the tire off in another five minutes. If I was doing the changing of the tire, I would have barely had the car off the ground at that point. Mm -hmm. So I was very happy about that. So then we brought it to, she had a little donut thing, and we're going up tomorrow today. So we had to get it fixed yesterday because that donut wasn't going to. Right. Right. You, I mean, you could try to push it, but no. 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 It's not a good idea. No. It might snow a little today, yeah. too. And so we went out, uh, we got it, we brought it up to Firestone and Quincy. And they've been working on this car since we've had it. Right. So we just keep going back there. But every time we go, they want to. Do something else. I get it. I understand. But so the tire replacement, because she bought the tires last year, um, there was only a little bit of wear on it. So the tire was only $16 to replace. Oh, okay. So great. So you had a road hazard warranty when you bought it. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, okay. So, um, but 
Then they noticed that the front brakes were pitted and rusted. And the okay. the pads were under warranty, but the rotors weren't. So this $16 job ended up being $400. Would you have replaced the brakes at that point? Depends how, well, two things. Depends on how the brake life was, as, you know, were the brake pads. How, how old were the brakes, do you think? Um, year or two? Maybe a year or two, yeah. Okay. So let's just guess they're half-worn. And depending on how bad the pitting was on the brake rotors, if it was an eighth of an inch deep, yeah, it probably isn't a bad idea to do it. Okay. Um, if you're getting a little bit of vibration or noise, probably not a bad idea to do it. Did you have to do it? If you said, hey, I'm buying a new car in six months, you probably didn't have to do it. Yeah, um, we're not doing that yet. Yeah. But if you were, you know, if you, um, you know, if you were going to buy a new car, um, you know, you could, you could probably hold off. In fact, in my car, the, um, one of the brake caliper slides stuck. So what happens is the brakes on one side look great and the brakes on the other side didn't look so good because they were all rusty. And, um, you know, at some point in the sometime near future, hopefully, I'm going to find a car to replace this one with. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, there's a, there's a you know, 16th of an inch score in the brake rotors. I'm not worried about it. I'm just going to put a set of brake pads on it and move on. If I planned on keeping the car five more years, I probably would have replaced the brake rotor. But I, I'm not. And they were safe. The rotors were new um, when I did the brakes last time. So it just didn't seem didn't seem cost effective to me to do it at the time, and probably the same thing with your car. But if you're going to drive it, you want you you want you want your wife to be safe, you want your kid to be safe. That's the bottom line. Yeah, we don't yeah. mess around with it. Yeah. Was safety issues? No, we don't yeah. mess around yeah. with it. But yeah. I was like, oh, just but <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's, and all of this brake rotor composition really hasn't changed. They're made out of steel. That's what brakes brake rotors are made out of. The problem is where we make the road safer by putting um, different kinds of salt on the road. It used to be just salt and sand, and now we put salt, sand, sodium chloride. I think it's sodium chloride. Calcium chloride salt. Sodium chloride something else. Um, works really good. It prevents freezing. It, um, it actually works in even lower temperatures than salt does. That's what, when you add salt to water, it actually, it's like antifreeze. It, it lowers the freezing temperature. And it also gives it a little grittiness to give your car a little bit of traction. Uh, sodium chloride kind of does the same thing, only better. And then sometimes they actually do a brine. They have a, like a truck that sprays a liquid. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They do that in Quincy. Yeah. The problem with that is it is horrible on cars and metal and bridges and all that sort of stuff. So um, as good as it is to make the road safe, it's tough on cars. And some of these 10 and 15 year old GM and Ford cars that have a lot, they have a lot of problems with brake lines all rotted out and gas lines all rotted out because of the stuff we're putting on the roads. Again, it makes the road safe, eats the cars like crazy. So I also get, heard that the um, Brian actually. Um, is more apt to cause to help contribute to the cause of potholes than not. I don't know. Something about because it's wet and then it dries and then it expands. It's it's it's, it's possible. Um, I mean, it could. To me, it does. To me, I would say maybe not because if 
Water gets in a crack in the road and freezes. That's what causes the pothole. If the brine gets in a crack in the road, it's going to prevent the water from freezing. So I wouldn't think it would, but I, I'm not I'm not sure how good they do paving roads these days. <laughs> I, 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 drive, I, I drive through Brockton nearly every night on the way home, and um, there is a stretch of Route 123 from the VA hospital past the Brockton High School that is third world country-ish. There are potholes that are that are eight inches deep. Yeah, um, you know, fifteen inches across. It looks like it. it, it it's it's a huge, and they're everywhere. And you try to avoid them. And a couple weeks ago, I saw somebody avoid a pothole and then hit somebody because uh, hit another car because they swerved to one side and somebody was trying to avoid a pothole on the other side, and they just ran into each other. So, yeah. So the the pothole rule, by the way, if um, if you're driving down the road, you should try to avoid a pothole. That's the rule. Try to avoid it. If you can't avoid it, try to slow down as quickly as you can. And just as you're about ready to hit the pothole, take your foot off the brake. What that will do is it'll minimize the amount of rolling damage. What can happen is when you're when you're um, when your tire's rolling and it's locked and it skids into a pothole, you're more likely to do damage to more likely to do damage to the uh, to the tire and wheel and suspension. The other thing that happens is just as you're just as you're about ready to take your foot off of the off of the gas pedal off the brake pedal, the car actually lifts up. So it works. Hey, with us on the phone is Stuart Hamill. Stuart Hamill is from Skyrunner. Stuart, good morning. Good morning. Um, well, let's let's first talk about. You're about as well. I, I guess we live here in New England, so um, we have uh, we have a flying car company that well hasn't really got a flying car yet. But you guys are you guys are pretty close to a, a flying vehicle that you can drive. Oh yeah, we're there. Uh, we're we're the only flying uh, car you can buy in a dealership. And uh, tell us tell us what it is, because my producer Dennis, who's been with me on and off for. I don't know, 10 years, how long? Uh, yeah, about 10, about 10 years. He's been wanting a flying car since he was six. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about yours. Well, yeah, we can make that dream a reality. So uh, it really started as a, um, as a toy for my kids. Um, we, uh, I love adventure. You know, I mean, it's scuba diving, can, skydiving. Can, can we just back uh, up again fly. for a minute? This was started off sure. as a toy for your kids? Yeah. yeah. Can, I, um, can, well, I, can, I, can I be related to you somehow? Absolutely, you can. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sure you are. My family's kind of a bush. So, <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, the, 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 it always, adventure is great because it always gives you something to look forward to. And, and you know, if you, if you, it's like going on vacation. You look forward to going on vacation. Yep. You reflect on your vacation. Um, but you learn a lot about yourself through adventure. And, um, uh, for, for me, it's uh, almost teaching my kids it's, uh, as a metaphor of, you know, whether you're solving a problem, turning a mountain into a molehill, um, getting things out of your way. But uh, as a pilot, what I respected about this type of aircraft, the, you call it a paraplane or powered parachute, is it had one of the best safety records in aviation. And I have a little ranch in Colorado that uh, it's very rugged at the foot of the Rockies. And we, did, we wanted something to get around, but also 
you know, let's fly around some of the stuff. Mm -hmm. There's canyons, there's, there's waterfalls. And, um, you know, Cessna is just not, it's not the right place to, the train's just not appropriate for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I came across some, a group that inspired me over in England and they, I hired them to help me on the design. And then we consolidated everything to Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, hired a bunch of engineers. Uh, and when the military got involved, it just took off. So now we have this rugged off road and very rugged. I mean, the thing's, six foot five foot tall um it's six foot five wide it's about 13 foot long it looks like the size of a denali uh, mm-hmm. except for the length um and yeah we spent six years um doing r&d in two years uh, of the six and uh, with fa regulations and now we're in production and we just started uh started shipping them out so it's so it's powered by cajun gumbo <laughs> right no, so we have two engines. It's um, we have a Proster 1000. We have a lot of uh, uh, ground components that are mainly off-road, right? So any 2200 dealers in the country with with these uh, uh, say off-road vehicles could uh, uh, could supply the parts. So mm-hmm. it's very serviceable. Uh, for an aircraft, we use a Rotax engine, mm-hmm. which is 85% of the light sport uh, market right. for aircraft. So it was very serviceable. It was simple. Um, uh, it was redundant, um, reliable, and, and that was it. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You buy a car, you buy a flying car, uh, you know, theoretically, it's who's going to service it? You know, what is the insurance going to cost? Our insurance, depending on your pilot's license, general liability is 40 to $70. So it becomes very accessible. Um, it, it's, it's realistic. But we weren't building something to fly to the grocery store and then fly home, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that capacity. What it did, it made us very... Um, Adaptable. Mm-hmm. The fact that we could go off road. A lot of states, uh, uh, you can make the street legal. We have a street legal kit you can put on. Not in every state, but in most states, um, the states will allow you to turn into a to a street legal mm-hmm. uh, car. They don't want you in the highways, but uh, you know, getting from to a pasture, taking off and landing, uh, you don't have to go to an airport. It, it's you know, it's a, it's a remarkable, remarkable, and very intuitive, very easy to fly. The easiest aircraft I've ever. Uh, flown in my life, and, and unlike a, unlike an ultralight, where there's there's always the concern what can mm-hmm. happen, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, yours yours because it is because it is a kind of canopy based vehicle, mm-hmm. it it's essentially has a parachute up all the time, right? Right, you're flying your plan B. Yeah, and that's the thing in aviation. There's always going to be inherent risk with with aviation, like anything driving, walking, anything worthwhile. I suppose has risks. Um, but from a calculated risk standpoint, as a pilot and being on this cherished possessions, we're going to be in the back seat. I went with the parachute. I've done mm-hmm. seven years of skydiving. I'm very comfortable. I get it. You know, the engine is not a safety component of, of flight. As long as you're you're um, doing the right things as pilot in command, and you're you're staying ahead of the aircraft, uh, you can run out of fuel and glide in. You don't need the engine to land. And we've got Fox shocks to help support that. Who knew Fox shocks, which are off-road shocks right. uh, and suspension would make such great landing gear. Hmm. So let's let's take through a typical scenario, uh, whether it's at your ranch or someplace else. We uh, mm-hmm. we roll it out. We roll it out of the barn or start it up and drive mm-hmm. it out of the barn. Um, mm-hmm. So it's drivable on. You know, we'll we'll just we'll we'll use a, a kind of gravel road picture here. So drive it out sure. of the barn. Drive on a gravel road. Um, mm-hmm. and then drive into 
a little bit of a field and then just get going and the, the canopy deploys and up and off we go? Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, so we would do the thing with um, flying cars that seems to be left out, and, and the dirty little secret about personal and transport is that it, it's always good at getting you from runway to runway, right? Right. But that's not where we want to go. We want to go doorstep to doorstep, A to B. And that's, that's, an, that's a minimum expected value. That's not a luxury. That's just if you're going to get in a, a taxi, an Uber, a Lyft, you're expecting to go A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the nice thing about um, – uh, our aircraft is that we don't have to go to an airport or we're not required to go to an airport. You think of the time it takes you to drive there, um, do your walk-around checklist, and that's where I'm going. The walk-around checklist, when you go up in the air and anything, is going to take time. External, mm-hmm. walk around, make sure everything's appropriate, internal checks. Um, we're going to do all that in about five minutes. Um, then we're going to take the wing out. Uh, it takes literally two and a half minutes, and we've done this with a drone to show how, how simple it is to mm-hmm. take off. A Cessna generally takes me 20 minutes to do a pre-flight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skyrunner is a fraction of the time, and we have to drive to the airport. We lay the chute out, um, and then we get in. We get in the aircraft, buckle up, and we simultaneously we're using. Uh, we're able to use both engines. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a ground-assisted roll, which allows you to take off faster. So when we turn the uh, the, the prop on and we're moving forward. As I accelerate on the gas pedal, uh, it's a choice, but if I want to accelerate the gas pedal, um, I can take off at a shorter distance. But the propeller is what's going to give us thrust. That's the only component mm-hmm. on there that's going to allow us to fly. And uh, uh, once we hit, we'll, we'll be up near in less than 600 feet. When we hit 38 miles an hour, uh, we're going to be airborne. Um, and from there, uh, you've got about 120 nautical mile flight range in Skyrunner and 240 on the ground. So if I wanted to go find that sort of ultimate fishing spot this, mm-hmm. this would be this would be, be a vehicle I, I just need a little bit of a clearing and I can land and take off and then right. and then in fact when I start to head back home I can mm-hmm. find a place to land and then fold fold everything all up and and comfortably drive back drive back to the barn right absolutely yeah, and it shouldn't take you more than you know, it really shouldn't take. Maybe the first time you do it, it might take five minutes. Um, but when you put when you put it, take it off and put it on, your transition really shouldn't be longer than five minutes. Mm. And t- tell me about tell me about airspeed and ground speed. How fast does it go when mm-hmm. it's in the air? Yeah. So that's one of the that's one of the reasons power parachutes have one of the best safety records. They're not going very fast. Right. You're you're. It's very um, inefficient aerodynamically, especially mm-hmm. the parachute. So all the thrust in the world is not going to make you go 100 miles an hour. Right. We're only flying 40, 45 miles an hour. So um, when you, when you um, in, in, on the ground, we're doing about 70 as our max speed. Okay. So that, that's your two options. Is One, you're, you're um, going straight as the crow flies. So um, in certain areas, like if you're going to go 12 miles, and you're in dense LA or San Francisco traffic, it makes sense. Mm. You know, if you want to, if you want to get past that, or if you want to go, say, uh, I don't know, somebody's out like Kingston, Jamaica. Yeah. You know, it might take three hours to go from Ian Fleming Airport to Kingston, but it would take 20, 20 minutes in in a, in a car like ours. Mm. Um, yeah, it just it, it's interesting. It's very liberating. I mean, to to fly and land on an island, I've done that. Um, goof off and then and then take off and, and fly away. It, that's a moment. You know, when you can. You have the ability to do that, and it's, you know, within two hours of flight training, all you need is, is 12, you're going to feel very proficient. 
Um, it took me 150 landings and assessment to feel proficient, and this mm. took me one landing that I'd put put my family in. Yeah, and well, let's and let's talk about how many. It's uh, it holds two, three people. How many? Yeah, it um, it's called the MK 3.2. It um, for government military it would you know we could put three mm-hmm. um, FA and the SLSA requirement um, re- restricts us to one passenger, so okay. pilot and passenger. That's 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 most times sometimes that's one more person that I want to be with. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I guess the the big question is how much does this cost? So um, we have two models. One's one hundred thirty-eight thousand. The other one's one hundred fifty-four thousand. Um, that's so. So that's that's about seven hundred fifty thousand less than what Terrafusia says their plane's going to sell for. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, aviation is very, very expensive, mm-hmm. and they've got a lot of bright minds. I think that started with MIT. Uh, very, very sharp group. That, Every everything you know, in New England started with MIT. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and the thing is, it's, you know, we, you know, the nice thing about the power parachute doesn't look like a, you know, a, a broken airplane driving down the street, right. right? You get in a fender bender, I can jump this thing to the body panels come off and feel comfortable flying. Um, so it's ruggedness and the fact, you know, once the military got behind it and helped us with the design philosophy from redundancy, um, you know, you could have one failed engine and not be immobilized. Mm. Uh, you can have several, you could have a broken axle, or if you have four-wheel drive, you could have three broken axles, not mm-hmm. be immobilized. Um, you have redundancy of fluids. You could share air, uh, the air filters between two engines. You could, if you lose your transmission, your rear differential, mm-hmm. um, you're not immobilized. So uh, these are things that, um, from the perspective of the, the civilian, um, probably wouldn't be a typical design philosophy, you know, what's plan B and what plan C, but it translates very well. Especially to both, and who wants to be immobilized? And uh, and, and also driving. also you don't need to buy aviation fuel, right? That's correct. Um, it's only it's the ninety three octane. Yep. So premium premium gas that you buy at any gas station. That's correct. So uh, it so it sounds you know even though it's it sounds like a a pricey a pricey vehicle, it's still compared to. You know, some other vehicles that people are buying these days, it kind of fits in that ballpark. And like you said, one of one of the things about this vehicle is it's it's an adventure vehicle. If you're going to go out and spend one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on a boat, especially right. depending where you live, this is going to this is going to bring you adventures that you're only going to be able to do in very, very limited circumstances and do it pretty quickly and easily. That's right. Yeah, aviation is always going to be pretty expensive uh, relative to to ground transportation. Mm. But one of the most popular financing vehicles in aviation is uh, HELOC, Home Equity Line of Credit. Because aircraft are so expensive, um, they're out of reach for, mm-hmm. for most most people. Um, the HELOC, you know, with us, with the zero money down, you, you could own a Skyrunner for 850 a month. So we've we've just sort of been touching on that. Most people mm-hmm. are just paying cash, mm-hmm. um, but um, it is. It is. It's an option now that people, if you want to own a scavenger, you can just do long-term financing, mm. um, and that is, and it's quick. Within two weeks, you could own a scavenger, and your monthly note is is not offensive. You're not mm. in the thousands of dollars per month. You're you're in this, you know, seven hundred fifty, eight hundred fifty per month, uh, depending on your down deposit. Yeah. How many? How many have you sold in kind of the retail market? Um, we've sold since we've been. 
we got our certifications in July. Yep. Uh, we've sold eight. Yep. Um, and then we have, um, we've done several fleet requests for proposals, mm -hmm. um, some as many as 30. Yep. Um, and now we're getting into, um, we've discussed with four or five countries uh, just recently on um, using Skyrunner for um, border security, which yeah. um, is interesting. It would be the highest and best use. It's low maintenance, high impact. The cost benefit is, is off the charts if you're looking for logistical superiority. Yeah, I mean, I see it as you know, run along the coast to look for look for issues along along the ocean, along beaches. See if there's problems. It seems like a quick a quick way to be able to scan a big distance and do it efficiently, and then land You're in right. the parking lot afterwards. Uh, it it and and again for the person that has you know the uh, the ranch that needs to kind of keep an eye on everything, a good way to do it rather than. Uh, uh, you know, go out and beat yourself up in a truck or an ATV, but you have that option to combine yep. it together. Where can people find out more information, both maybe see it in use, uh, YouTube channel and your own website? Yeah, yeah the website is flyskyrunner.com. Um, and our social media um, is, uh, Facebook is probably our biggest. We have about 700,000 fans now in just a, a few years. Um, we post a lot of our uh, videos there, and that's uh, Fly Skyrunner at the end of Facebook. And I think you guys were just on Top Gear? We were. Yes, sir. And uh, and uh, that uh, that had to be interesting, right? Yeah, you know, um, I was, I was uh, it was so much fun. And, and uh, Chris Harris and Matt LeBlanc, they bring their A game every day. Yep. You know, they weren't ever... And, and, we, you know, Chris Harris took an interest. Uh, he doesn't like aviation at all. And I, I walked up and introduced myself as, as his pilot, not, not the CEO of the company. Yep. And he just was like, oh, boy. So he, he, he went out and we, we, uh, we talked about it. But he said when we were over here, he went out and really inspected it. And what gave him a lot of confidence is whoever built that aircraft, you know, really cared about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. That was our first little knuckle moment, just looking at the welds and the design. And someone like him, I mean, look, he's, he's not afraid to tear, um, tear, tear you know, a high-end luxury car apart for uh, uh, its, its, its driving proficiency. Mm -hmm. So for him to uh, spend so much time and appreciate what we've done, uh, you know, on a personal level, on a professional level, was just, it was huge. It was a huge validation. Yeah, no, it it it's it's good. It's good whenever you get get that kind. Of, I I will I will admit I don't have the audience of Top Gear. Just so you know. <laughs> well, it's it's an honor to be on your on your show, sir. All right, Stuart. Thanks for taking some time out of your Saturday morning to join us and uh, and keep flying. Yeah, thank you. All right, good take care. To you. Bye bye. Stuart Hamill, CEO of Skyrunner. Fly Skyrunner is where you can get more information. We need to take a break. If you would like to join us when we come back, 
I don't choose these things. The way it's set up now, I just press a button and whatever songs come on, come on. Oh, it's uh, my Chevy van. Uh, okay, sure. Yeah, so. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. say that again because you're not on. Now oh, you're on. Now I'm on. Yeah. It's Chevy Van. I can't hear it. Is, no. she- is it Chevy Van? Yeah. And that's all right with yeah. me. Yep, that's, that's Sammy the one. John. Yeah. 1970. Yeah. Something a long time ago. Yeah. 1970. I know a lot of songs. I don't know what that song is. Sorry. Yeah. I, I suspect. Is Jeff still here? Do you know? Uh, yeah, he is, yeah. but uh, he's not. I don't know what he's doing now. Yeah, but I bet he's loading some of this stuff in because he yeah. that's sort of, <laughs> he likes it. He likes that era of music. So. I wouldn't be surprised. Let's talk to Paul and Melrose, who's been on eternal hold here. Paul, thank you for holding on. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me on. I, I have a crazy question on an odometer. If you have like a Ford Taurus 2009 and you take the battery off for like a year or so and then put it, put a new battery back in, uh, if you thought it had 68,000, let's say, when you took the battery off and now it says it has 103, does does it have some internal clock that adds mileage? No, no, it shouldn't. It shouldn't. No, it should have. It, you should be able to. You should be able to take the battery out of that for 10 years and hook it back up, and it should digitally display the same mileage. I don't know that I've ever seen. Even when you, and I'm not quite sure how it actually does it but even when you take the battery off fully discharge all the capacitive circuits in it so um, even when you disconnect the battery there's always a little bit of computer memory but the computer's designed to hold the memory of the mileage so i'm not sure why it bumped up to 103 from 68 yeah i mean we're kind of it's kind of like a you know we think that it was 68 and uh we, we you know now it's reading 103 but yeah. I, it was just a you know, I didn't think it could do that no, on its own, no, so no, maybe it, we're wrong. No, or maybe maybe yeah. someone put a battery in it and drove it 40,000 miles while you weren't looking. <laughs> One other question on the, on the was it a Skyrunner car? Yeah, yeah. Would they have to have both the odometer and like an hour meter? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, up- I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure that's probably the case, and and I'm not even sure if it actually has an odometer, but. Um, but it, yeah, for any kind of any kind of, uh, I know like uh, uh, ultralights and things like that. They all have hour meters on the on the engines just to, just because yeah. they keep track. Yeah. You know, same thing. You know, people have hour meters on boats and generators and everything else. So it wouldn't surprise me if someone had if someone had an hour if it had an hour meter. And it probably does. You know, I, I mean, it has it has sort of a motorcycle looking ATV control. So it probably does have an odometer on it too. It has a speedometer. Right, it has a speedometer yeah. on it, so I'm sure it's the case. So, yeah. none of the new cars have hour meters now, do they? Or they just go by mileage? You know, they they all have they all have mileage. But I have actually I've actually been in some cars with digital speedometers where you kind of like go through the system and it'll tell you how many hours of how many hours it's yeah, been running yeah. i it's just i think it's one of those kind of more of a novelty thing than anything else um some of yeah. the these some of the diesels will tell you how many hours are on the engine sure yeah okay well thank you for okay. answering that other one all right me. take care okay bye-bye so actually uh when i bought my um when i had my fusion yep these uh, the um the owner's manual said that um you could get up to ten thousand miles per before you have to change the oil, or 
um, X amount of hours, uh, yeah, depending a, on your yeah. region. Like in the Northeast, the yeah. climate's harder. And that, that would make sense because it's a hybrid. So you kind of have to keep track. Your old fusion, for people who haven't been keeping up with Dennis's life. Um, <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> um, he had a Ford Fusion hybrid, which you liked, right? I loved it. Yeah, yeah. The wife, not so much. Yeah, she said it so, was uncomfortable. So, um, <laughs> so a Ford Fusion hybrid, and the problem with the hybrid is, well, there's a certain amount of time that the electric motor is just going to, even at very low speed, is going to just power the car, and you start to lose track of, um, of you know, how much that how long that oil's been in there. So it's always a good idea to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to leave oil in a crankcase for a year. And that's one of the things that some of the plug-in hybrids are now, like whether it's a, a Prius Prime plug-in or a, or even the Fusion that has, has a plug-in option now. Uh, you can drive it for, you know, it could be 10, 12, 15, 18 miles or even longer in some cases and never really have the gas engine come on much maybe just enough to fire up the air conditioner or whatever the case is. And when I was in Florida back uh, January, I guess, or February, um, I I had a Fusion hybrid to drive, and it was a plug-in hybrid. And, yeah, I could go from um, my house to the local Walmart, which I did almost every day, twice, uh, twice a day sometimes, and the gasoline never engine never came on. Uh, I think I drove that car for, you know, the better part of four or five days and barely used a quarter of a tank of gas. But still, the engine's being used a little bit and oil ages a little bit. So it all kind of it all kind of blends together. Speaking of electric vehicles, how about a Rolls Royce EV? Rolls Royce electric vehicle is Sold. on. You want one? <laughs> is on the table as uh, parent BMW Group explores the possibility. I hate this expression. At the end of the day. It's one of those things that people overuse. At the end of the day, uh, we're also thinking that Rolls-Royce may be electrified because there's a demand from local markets, especially in China. China runs everything now, don't they? Um, according to the uh, head of the Electric Power Tank gr Group, uh, looking around China, if you want to be in the market, you have to think of electrifying different brands. In China, one of Rolls-Royce's biggest markets Regulators are implementing clean vehicle quotas to ease pollution. Uh, decision on electric Rolls-Royce has not been made, but they think they might be. And, you know, if they're using BMW engines, it's probably not totally unlikely that that could be the case. That's all I got. That's all I got. This is, although on that, but this is something that I think I'll be surprised if this really happens. But the Lincoln Continental, which people love or hate, the new Lincoln Continental. I work with a guy, he's probably in his early 30s, might not even be in his early 30s. He loves this car. He thinks this is the, when he first saw it, he fell in love with it. I got to tell you, the only Lincoln Continentals I see have livery plates on them. I don't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen them buying a lot of them. Um, but according to article from, oh, at the NAD, NADA show, it's National Auto Dealer Association show, um, it says Lincoln Motor Company's future product portfolio leans heavily on crossovers and SUVs, but dealers at the show were assured it doesn't plan to abandon its sedans. Lincoln plans to add suicide doors to a future version of the Continental Those Sedan cool, though. <laughs> in a move that harks back to the nameplate's iconic past, dealers learned during the annual uh, 
make meeting, uh, Lincoln showed dealers a photo of the Continental with rear hinge doors and disclosed plans to build the model, according to multiple dealers in the room who didn't want to be identified. Must be a secret. The move was part of an effort to demonstrate the brand's commitment to car lineup. The company, well, it's, it's you know, who's, who's the actor that does all the Lincoln commercials? Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I don't think he's doing it for him. You know, I think a lot of people go, ooh, Matthew McConaughey's, in, but they're not buying the cars. He was at the auto show last year. He's kind of an odd duck. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like his little M.O. That's his M.O.? His M.O.? Yeah. Do you know Matthew McConaughey? Um, remember that time you told me after I got my doctorate that I was smart, and I said, I can't be that smart. I can't figure out how Matthew McConaughey sells a single car. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you were right, because I don't think he's selling a single car. <laughs> and especially the commercials where he, like, falls into a pool backwards and, you know. I, I mean, a commercial where he has his dog in the car is kind of cute. But, you know, anytime you put, you know, dogs, cats, anything in a commercial. I'm still trying to figure out the one with the bull, where he's staring down the bull with the Yeah, one. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But if the Lincoln Continental has rear suicide doors, so for people that don't know what suicide doors are, there are doors that are hinged backwards. Um so if you're driving down the road, you could open the rear door and scoop someone into the car, I suppose. Um, wouldn't oh be a good my. idea. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen mine for years. Yeah. Um, and then the term suicide door doesn't exactly lead to the most, you know, you know, something that's like, oh, suicide and cars. Not a good thing. That's because when you come out of the, when you go out of the rear facing doors, you're, you're just stepping out. You, whereas the front facing you open the door and then step out oh, or you or you go to open the door while the car's still moving the yeah. door acts like a giant sail yep. and whips the door and you out of the car at, at the same you know, time yeah not good hey look Paul Sullivan's here the guy's playing the music but let's uh, do a quick uh, I was right too by the way Sammy Johns 1975 Chevy really? Vans Sammy really? Johns yeah. alive yeah. or dead uh, dead yes just a guess safely but, dead yeah yes. probably buried in a Chevy van and that's alright yeah. with me <laughs> Hey, what's up with the Irish Parade today, Mr. Sullivan? Well, at the end of the day, the bottom line <laughs> yeah. is all things yeah. considered. Well, we're running up the uh, flagpole. Yes, we'll uh, do that. The we'll paradigm see. shift. We'll see if the spaghetti sticks to the refrigerator That's right. door. That's right. Yes. Yeah, all those things. And all, all that stuff coming up on the <laughs> Irish Hit Parade with Paul Sullivan. Oh, you just lost half an audience. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Click, clack. Uh, how, how about, how about the very best in Irish music right I love here? That. That's yeah. what I strive that's, for every that, week at the end it. of the day. That's it. Yes. Paul Sullivan and By the, the way, very best. At the end of the day, it'll be 7 o'clock after Bill Bailey's. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yes, it'll be. I don't know. It'll be happy hour. <laughs> we got to get out of here. The very best in Irish music with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade coming up next. Till next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Talk to you all then. Bye bye.